Side at Midnight with Frank Morano. Just because we get around This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. An interesting thing happened to my sister, Claudia, this week. She was taking a flight to California to see a concert that she was really looking forward to seeing. And it was one that was very difficult to get tickets to. And she arranged days out of her schedule to make sure that she could be there. She goes to the airport on time or early and she gets onto the airplane and they keep her waiting two and a half hours on the airplane before telling her they're going to have to send her to a different airport. Then they keep her waiting another hour on the airplane before telling her, oh, sorry, her flight's canceled. If she wants to still make that concert, it's going to cost her an extra $2,000 or so. Now, United, that airline that was responsible for that batched flight, is going to have to give her a voucher or some sort of compensation for her inconvenience, but it wasn't always that way. And the man that's responsible for you getting reimbursed or compensated if your flight gets bumped is also the man that's responsible for airbags in your car. He's also responsible for seatbelts. He's also responsible for the air being a little cleaner, the water being a little safer to drink, and your workplace not being a a, a sea of trouble every time that you, and danger every time you try to go to work. And uh, he's also been an incredible crusader for electoral reform. Uh, by now, you've probably guessed I am talking about veteran consumer advocate, public interest attorney, former independent candidate for president, who I've had the pleasure of voting for multiple times. And a best-selling author, the one and only Ralph Nader, one of my favorite people to talk to. Mr. Nader, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Frank. I love this new book that you've compiled with Bruce Fine, The Incommunicados, where you chronicle a bunch of letters that you've sent to the government and to different corporate leaders that have largely been unresponded to. And I want to talk to you about this. But first, I want to talk to you about working with Bruce Fine. Bruce Fine was a leading attorney in the Reagan administration. He's a conservative's conservative. I think people know if they followed your career, you're not exactly a Reaganite. Most people would consider you a progressive. But this is not the first time that you've worked with someone on the right or on the left or in the center. Uh, When it came to beating back NAFTA and fighting against NAFTA, you worked with people like Pat Buchanan and Ross Perot and Jesse Jackson. When it came to the Terry Schiavo case, you worked with all sorts of conservative activists, even uh, going on Mark Levin's radio show where you guys were um, on the same page. On civil liberties, you've worked with people like uh, Ron Paul. I'm wondering, these days it seems like we live in an era where Democrats are afraid to talk to, let alone work with Republicans and vice versa. I'm wondering if you can speak to the importance of working with people on the other side of the aisle politically from you. It's very important. I wrote a book called Unstoppable, the Emerging Left-Right Alliance to Dismantle the Corporate State. And we're not talking about all conservatives and all progressives, but if you put the ones that agree on an issue together, you're often at 70% in the polls. If you're at 70% in the polls, uh, members of Congress can't game you and divide and rule you 
and you have enormous influence over them. Because walking into the senator's office, the senator sees liberals and conservatives locking arms against corporate welfare, against the bloated military budget, uh, for uh, a living wage, uh, for uh, universal health insurance, you know, they're, they're going to say, oh, you know, the, the, <laughs> we can't deal with that. We're going to have to listen to these people. So, but with Bruce Fine, he, he's at a different level altogether. I mean, I don't think there's been one constitutional law issue, one issue involving Trump, uh, one issue involving a uh, recessive Congress that we've disagreed on. And his most recent uh, commentary you'll be interested in in Sunday's New York Times, the reporter stated in an article uh, on Trump and the indictments, she said, in the USA, a sitting president cannot be criminally prosecuted. End. Period. That's completely <laughs> wrong. Totally. There's no judicial decision that says that. It is not stated, uh, certainly in the Constitution. Our founders didn't want another King George III in modern garb. And everybody knows that you can criminally prosecute a a federal judge, Supreme Court justice, you can prosecute a member of Congress for crimes. Uh, The president is no different. And so he wrote a response to this reporter, and we're putting it up on our website, that most assuredly a a sitting president can be criminally prosecuted. So that's where Bruce is coming from. He sees injustice. Uh, ir- irrespective uh, of who the victims are, whether they're well, uh, conservative, liberal, it doesn't matter. This book, The Incommunicados, is terrific. It's a collection of letters you've written to the government elites, corporate elites, the powerful. And if people want to check out the book, they can go to the website incommunicadoswatch.org. A lot of people may wonder, though, Ralph, why does getting a response matter? If a a government agency or a big corporation is not going to do what you want anyway, why does it matter if they're bothering to respond to your letter? Well, it matters. First of all, not even being acknowledged, and this is not just us. It's we've heard from all over the country. They can't get response from city hall. They can't get response from state capital, federal. Doesn't matter whether they're liberal, conservative groups. There's a whole culture of blackout, and it goes to not even acknowledging receipt. Never mind not responding to serious letters, proposals. Uh, suggestions, corrections. They, they don't even acknowledge receipt. And when that happens, people withdraw. Most people withdraw. We don't withdraw. We roar back. But most people, they just they just get burnt out, and they withdraw, and they become cynical. And a cynical public is ripe for dictatorial uh, politics to emerge. And uh, so that's one reason. The second is sometimes uh, you persuade people in public office. You know, when I started on on auto safety, I didn't have one vote in Congress. By the time we finished and and educated the press and went into one uh, office after another on Capitol Hill, the regulation of the giant auto industry was unanimously passed in September uh, 1966. So it works sometimes. You get hearings because they're suggested by citizen groups. You get legislation. You get 
uh, information about defective products, about uh, malpractice in hospitals or whatever. Uh, that's the second reason. The third reason is that if you don't push back, it just gets worse. They, first it starts, they don't respond, then they don't acknowledge, and pretty soon you're done. You know, you're, mm. you're, you're outside the, uh, the system of the corporate state. I've also found that uh, a lot of time, and I try to answer every uh, letter, every email that's sent to me from radio listeners, and it could be quite challenging. It takes a, a big part portion of my day, but I found that sometimes just writing someone back, even acknowledging their response, it makes them at times a whole la- a lot less angry about whatever issue they were writing to you about, and willing to listen to your perspective, even if it's not a perspective that they ever thought they'd give the time of day to. To begin with, in this book, uh, The Incommunicados, which again, uh, people can check out and uh, get a copy at the incommunicadoswatch.org, you write not just to government officials like presidents, attorneys general, speakers of the House, vice presidents. You write to people like uh, the dean of Harvard Law School, the head of the American Bar Association, the general manager and the president of the New York Yankees, the commissioner of the NBA, the commissioner of baseball. I'm wondering, is there any difference in the level of responsiveness? from private sector officials versus nonprofit officials versus government officials? That's a good question because the answer is no. In fact, although this focuses heavily, but as you indicate, not entirely, on members of Congress and members of the executive branch departments and agencies, uh, the uh, corporate response is similar, only in some ways it's more maddening because it sucks you in to push push one, you know, press one, press two, press three, you press three, you get another out, you get another robot, uh, you get someone who's uh, a human robot that they have, they're have not allowed to have any judgment, they're just parroting the party line of the telephone company, electric company, insurance company, bank. In fact, there's a columnist for the Washington Post in April, uh, she wrote a column saying, corporations are not responding to us, they're driving us insane. So it, it does. Uh, it does have that. Now we've made a proposal. It's gotten a lot of resonance. Which is, uh, let's say you got to correct the telephone situation with your telephone company or utility. You go back and forth, and the hours merge into days. The days merge into weeks, and you're you're thrown from one department to another, and you can't get resolved. What our suggestion is is you bill the company for your time. You say, look, you're not respecting my time. Uh, and I'm going to bill you. You took five hours to do something that should have taken 20 minutes over a period of three months. I'm going to bill you 500 bucks. I love it. 250 bucks. And um, if uh, you're really determined, you say to them, and if you don't pay the bill in 30 days, I'm going to take you to small claims court. Just like that. Well, we got some people saying, I'm raring to go. I Uh, I bet. So we should get that underway. Consumers should bill these companies who totally disrespect and waste the consumer's time. And even worse, they're now shifting more of the burden of shopping on consumers. Look, at they want to open up stores now with no human cashier. But still ask for a tip on those machines, on those uh, self-checkout kiosks. It still asks you, do you want to give a tip? Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. 
Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. Bruno. He's your numero uno. Uh, Ralph, it's no secret that a lot of the people that listen to talk radio, especially late at night, tend to be pretty cynical. And you're going to have a lot of people that are saying, well, yeah, of course, these big, powerful corporations or politicians aren't going to pay attention what uh, us normal people, us average everyday citizens have to say. But it's always been this bad. It's always been a big problem. You have in this book a, a great response to a series of letters that you wrote from Henry Ford, the second chairman of the board, obviously of the Ford Motor Company. It's from 1978. In the 70s, Ralph, was Henry Ford's response, was that the exception even back then, or was it the norm? I guess my question is, has it always been this bad? It's never been this bad. Part of it is uh, the automation capability of shutting you out has never been as great. Uh, They didn't even have voicemail. If you wanted to reach the CEO in the 70s, you, you could call the CEO's office. They're gonna, not going to put the CEO on, but you have a personal conversation with the secretary and to convey the message to the CEO, the personal secretary. Impossible now. In fact, some companies don't even have a telephone number. I'm told Facebook doesn't even have a telephone number. So it's never been worse. It's not that in the 70s, CEOs fell all over themselves to write me a response or a letter. But it occurred from time to time. You'd never see it now. You'd never see uh, a secretary right back. Everybody agrees, I think, with this point I'm about to make. When you have a complaint against an insurance company or a bank, and especially a telephone electric company, they, they don't want to put anything in writing. They'll say, okay, we're going to do this for you. We'll fix it. Uh, We'll make sure we'll eliminate this extra charge or this penalty. And you say, well, you know, we've heard that before. Could you send me an email or a letter? They never want to do that. So it gets worse and worse. And what's coming around the corner is you're going to be dealing with artificial intelligence robots. Mm -hmm. Totally. Mm -hmm. Unless we put a stop to it. And we can put a stop to it. Look, consumers outnumber these guys, you know, thousand to one. Without the consumer dollar, they're nothing. Without the advertising dollar uh, that consumers reverberate to buy goods and services, Silicon Valley is nothing. Over 85% of all the money and the huge profits of Facebook and Google come from ads. 
And, you know, you're so right on the Facebook front. The company that owns Facebook also owns Instagram. And uh, my wife, who's a, a, a journalist and a hard worker and knows how to get in touch with people, she, uh, when her uh, Instagram account was hacked, she tried desperately for days just to find a phone number of somebody, anybody to talk to over there. Couldn't find a single phone number. You're so right about that. You know, in January of 2022, and this is in the book, The Incommunicados, so people just tuning in, we're talking with Ralph Nader. You can read his regular column and uh, check out some of his books and hear the Ralph Nader Radio um, Hour at Nader.org. It's N-A-D-E-R.org. You and Bruce Fine wrote a letter to every member of Congress and the head of every federal agency and the secretary of uh, every cabinet department asking for an official statement on their policy for acknowledging and responding to citizen letters. Just a statement. And I'm just curious what response you got to that. What is the official policy of, say, the the FCC or the FEC or the FDA? We got zero response. We sent it to every member of Congress. We did get one response from the chief of staff for Senator Richard Blumenthal from Connecticut. That's my senator, so they probably figured that you would respond. Uh, and they assured that, that they are responsive, but all the others never even responded. It even gets funnier and worse, Frank. When incommunicados came out, and I hope people will get it and send it to their member of Congress and say, don't you dare do this to me when I try to reach you, my senators or my representative. We, we sent an email to every communication director of every member of Congress said, do you want a free copy of this report? The Incommunicados, it relates to members of Congress. And they have a big blackout like the executive branch. We, we didn't get one response. Now, <laughs> no one said, hey, you know, we want to see some of these letters because you gave the website, incommunicadoswatch.org. That just has the table of contents and the introduction, it shows that when they black us out, they're taking away our First Amendment right explicitly to petition our government for redress of grievances. That's, those wow. are the words. They're taking away that part of our First Amendment. And uh, so if you want the report, you go to the website, and we'll send you the report right away. It's very cheap. It's really a heavy report, but it's only $12, and a third of that is first-class postage. So you can get it, uh, you know, relatively speaking, right away. And uh, and uh, if once you use it, if you, if you want to give it to your library or give it to a friend, but you can also give it to a member of Congress. This is August recess. They're all back home now until after Labor Day. It took another five-week vacation. And well deserved. And yeah, members of Congress. So they're, 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 if they're not on junkets, they're back home shaking hands, raising money, going to various country fairs or whatever, and uh, just buttonhole them and say, I want a letter from you saying that you're going to respond to my letters. Now, uh, I want to be careful uh, specific here. They do respond if you've lost your VA check or you, you're having a personal problem with a government agency, uh, like uh, some payment that you, you need. They will respond to that. It's called casework because they, they know that gets them votes. They have a lot of their office, instead of working on legislation, they work on these kinds of casework. Case they also respond to donors and golf partners. <laughs> and they will respond if you ask them 
for an American flag flying over the Capitol, they'll fly it over the Capitol and send you the American flag, or they'll respond if you ask for congratulations for your child graduating from high school or college uh, uh, weddings, for example. They all do that because that's what they think will help get them reelected. But serious proposals for public hearings on all kinds of terrible, neglectful situations in our country, uh, forget it. Serious suggestions for witnesses to congressional hearings, forget it. Serious corrections of what members of Congress might have said that's erroneous on the floor, forget it. Uh, you don't matter, uh, but you can make yourself matter. And that's why we want you to also think about buying this book called How the Rats Reformed the Congress. And it's a fable that is very realistic. It makes you laugh yourself seriously. We've talked about it on Frank's program in the past. It yeah, just starts out with the rats climbing up into the corridors and scaring and uh, chasing all the, uh, the staff, members of Congress, gets in the press, ridicule, pours in on Congress from all over the country. And then suddenly some people in the Midwest say, you know, it's time we paid attention to the Congress. The rats are... Uh, scaring these members, uh, uh, maybe we better mobilize. And that's where you get the exact step-by-step on how to recover Congress, how to take it away from the clutches of the 1,500 corporations who go up and down the corridors with their uh, lobbyists and turn Congress, to whom we have delegated our constitutional authority under we the people, uh, and turn the Congress against the people. Ralph, uh, it, a lot of people may find this difficult to believe because you're as active as ever and as sharp as ever, but uh, you're 89 years old, and I have done a lot of interviews and have a lot of relationships with people in their 90s that are as sharp as ever. I did a series of interviews with William Shatner recently. He's 92. Uh, you, you'd never know it. I have been somewhat disturbed by some of the language that I've seen in the political sector when it comes to bashing Trump and Biden for their age, when it comes to attacking people like Dianne Feinstein and Mitch McConnell, not for their policies, but for their age. Um, people like Nikki Haley have called for uh, age limits on certain public offices or a competency tests. But this ageism is not just limited to the political sphere. We have a, a listenership on this audience that I'm very proud of, the, the bulk of which happens to skew a bit older. I'm very proud of that. And the whole country is skewing older, but it seems like the one acceptable bias in the workplace, in the po in politicals, in the political sphere and in the media seems to be a bias against ageism. Are you observing that, Ralph? Oh, yeah, very much so. You see it everywhere. Uh, Nina Thunberg even indicated that it, it occurs on NPR. You see it with uh, two early mandatory retirement rules by corporations. Some of them have 65. There are some that have 60, which is pretty absurd, uh, especially with longer life expectancies. Uh, and uh, you see it in the political realm. But I must say, it's not as bad as it was five, six years ago. Five, six years ago, the polls showed that if you're over 70 running for president, you had a real liability in terms of voters saying, well, I, I like the person, but they're too old. But I guess because Trump and Biden are up there now uh, heading toward 80 or at 80, 
they're they're becoming less uh, less uh, focused on it, even though the press will jump on any slip of of the shoe or any fumble of the of the wording. Sure, hesitation. You know, they jump on it. They jumped on McConnell, Senator McConnell, the other day when when he couldn't finish his sentence. Uh, however, you know there 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 is a situation where if you cannot uh, fulfill your duties, uh, you should, in good conscience, just resign and uh, and and not prolong. Uh, you know, the there is time when Strom Thurmond hit a hundred; he really couldn't uh, he couldn't fulfill his duties and uh, the most minimal uh, duties. And you, you wanted to hang on. There is a time, as they say in sports, to hang up the spikes. (laughs) Speaking of the presidential campaign, obviously, I think uh, a lot of people are aware that you were the Green Party candidate for president back in the year 2000. There is uh, another very active person seeking the Green Party nomination this year, Cornell West. There seems to be a lot of hostility, not only towards him, who's running very much to Biden's left, but also to the possibility of a centrist third party candidate. Uh, from the uh, from the no labels group, uh, this hostility to third parties uh, is being led by the very same people, the very same entities that were hostile to you in 2000, 2004 and 2008. And I've been saying for 23 years, I wish these groups that were that spent so much time, energy and money trying to kick candidates off the ballot they'd spend that same amount of energy and same amount of money trying to implement something like ranked choice voting. I'm wondering if you can comment uh, on Cornell West's candidacy specifically, what you think of him. And I'm wondering if you can speak to the hostility that third parties face in general. Well, first of all, uh, it's a way of scapegoating. The Democratic Party is screwed up so badly. They they abandoned half the country years ago. They hardly compete in the red states. In Wyoming, there are 32 counties. They only have a, a local Democratic committee in two counties. So they've given up right from the get-go uh, half the country. Uh, and the second thing is that they they are always not looking at themselves in the mirror. Like they celebrated last November because they didn't lose by as big a margin as some of the pollsters said to the Republicans, really? They should have landslided the Republicans. The Republicans stood uh, brazenly and openly against programs to help children, workers, like minimum wage increase, long overdue, full health insurance, cracking down on corporate crooks, changing the tax system to be uh, less uh, congenial to the super rich and and the corporations, uh, and on and on. They're denying environmental uh, issues, including climate violence and catastrophe. Uh, they, they keep pumping the military budget uh, and, and uh, knock down the community uh, public works budget. It's called the infrastructure. It creates all kinds of jobs and better public services. They should have landslided them. Instead, oh, we just barely, uh, barely lost to them. Well, that's because... They're scapegoating. They're always scapegoating. They're blaming uh, third-party candidates, mostly Green Party. It's interesting. The Republicans don't blame the Libertarian Party, which is always on the ballot. It's on more ballots than the Green Party. They they don't have that kind of hang-up as the Democrats. The Democrats are very good at scapegoating, which is a way of basically weakening themselves 
because they never let people go who are not competent in campaign management. They don't get rid of their corporate conflicted consulting and media firms who have corporate clients throughout the year <laughs> and control the campaigns of senators like Senator Schumer and, and members of, of the House. So there's a real problem uh, next year because they're at it again. They're scapegoating uh, third-party efforts instead of saying, hey, maybe we can learn from some of these agendas. Why are we upset with the Greens? Uh, we could adopt the $15 minimum wage. We could go for universal health care. We can crack down on corporate crooks. We can revise the restrictive anti-union uh, laws. All this is New Deal stuff, Franklin Roosevelt. Instead, they don't want to do it because they're dying for the same corporate money that the Republicans are dying. And, and they don't want to adopt these and shrink the, the voting numbers for the Greens. Now, Harry Truman in 1948 was confronted by former Vice President Henry Wallace's Progressive Party that uh, came in at 12% on the polls a few months before the election. So what did Truman do? He took, he took the agenda, not the foreign policy part, but the domestic agenda, uh, pro-labor, etc., uh, away from Wallace. Wallace only got 2 or 3%. Uh, but the Democrats today, scapegoating, scapegoating, refusing to look at themselves in the mirror and shape up and get rid of their political consultants. Elizabeth Moynihan, uh, who uh, was married to Pat Moynihan, she fired her political consultants uh, and took over the campaign management of Pat Moynihan's last run for the U.S. Senate from New York State. And when I talked to her about it, she said, you know, Ralph, the, the, these political consultants are destroying the Democratic Party. Mm. Uh, no, I, I'm not surprised. I, I think I don't think you get an argument from many people on that. Uh, you've been very generous with your time. Uh, two quick areas that I have to explore with you before we uh, before we let you go, though. I was, um, you know, years ago we spoke after the Citizens United decision about how outrageous it was that the Supreme Court now considered corporations citizens for the purposes of giving money. You've written extensively in many of your books about how corporations are actually considered be better than citizens when it comes to tax implications and when it comes to legal disputes and things of that nature. And people might say, okay, they're financial, co financial constructions. Uh, that's all having to do with money. So be it. Delaware is doing something which takes corporate personhood to a brazen new level. I was recently reading uh, my new favorite print publication, the Capitol Hill Citizen, and there's a terrific article from Claire Snyder Hall of uh, Common Cause Delaware, uh, and we've covered this on this program, about how municipalities in the state of Delaware are actually giving corporations the right to vote. And uh, you can have 60, 70 votes from one person if you have 60 or 70 different corporations. I hope this is not a trend that continues around the rest of the country. But I'm wondering, Ralph, what your reaction is to corporations <laughs> actually being given the right to vote. Well, uh, that has been stopped in Delaware, thanks to that common cause uh, advocate you mentioned, Claire. And it was a, a just a, a small number of towns were, th were thinking about it, uh, and not just because the companies are property owners. There are some places in the country where if you are a property owner, whether a person or a corporation, you can vote on property tax matters. No, this one was to give corporations the same right to vote as human beings, but she squelched that. 
that was too much for the legislature in Dover, Delaware. But, uh, you know, the fact they even try something like that, they're testing the waters on us. If we surrender all constitutional rights to corporations, and we have pretty much done that, except the right to vote and the right to uh, use the Fifth Amendment against self-incrimination, these corporations are using robots. They're using world subsidiaries that can escape U.S. laws, uh, to, to escape taxes, engage in all kinds of machinations, uh, will be totally corporatized. There is no compromise between democracy and corporatism. You can't have both. In fact, Louis Brandeis once said, uh, you, you, can, uh, you can either have great unregulated wealth or democracy, but you can't have both. Uh, it was true then. Decades ago, it's true more than ever right now. I'm glad you mentioned a capital citizen because it's a sensation around the country. When people get it, it's in print only. People are sick and tired of all the distraction uh, and the interferences of reading online. And you can get it once, one at a time. It costs just five bucks. You get it first class, 40 pages. Go to capitalcitizen.com. Capitalcitizen.com. You get the recent issue just out. Uh, you can't believe the reaction from around the country. Frank is right. Listen, I got to tell the listeners about Frank. There is no talk show host in my entire six decades of experience who reads more and thinks more about what a guest has written and done than, than Frank. Nobody comes close. Well, thank you. You're, you're very kind to say that, and uh, I, I appreciate it a great deal. But when it comes to your writing uh, and the things that you're doing, it's not work. It's what I would do, be doing for fun. I appreciate that uh, very much. Uh, before I let you go, Ralph, um, we have seen what's happening with the SAG after strike, the Writers Guild strike. It looked like the whole country might have, uh, you know, almost uh, they dodged coming to a halt because of the UPS strike that was narrowly avoided. We've seen unionization attempts. Uh, with different Amazon outlets. We've seen it with different Starbucks branches. A lot of people are optimistic that this could be the comeback of the American labor movement, which has been beaten, which has been demonized, which has been villainized, especially the private sector labor movement. Are you seeing the pendulum starting to swing the other way back in a pro-labor direction, Ralph? Well, this is a golden opportunity uh, for labor uh, because labor, uh, especially skilled labor, is in high demand. They don't have enough skilled workers, not just for Silicon Valley, but for industry, commerce. Uh, they don't have enough skilled uh, labor. And so this is the moment of opportunity for workers uh, to initiate what rights they have. They have fewer rights as workers than Western European countries have uh, to unionize, uh, and not just in Starbucks or uh, Amazon, Starbucks is working overtime to crush the union movement in Starbucks shops, uh, and Amazon's not far behind. But in the traditional industries, uh, there's a UAW uh, negotiation that's starting, not at auto workers, with the auto companies. That's going to be historic. They have to deal with electric cars and the reduction in number of assembly line workers to produce electric cars compared to uh, gasoline engine cars. And they want to get rid of the double standard paying young auto workers less than uh, the negotiated uh, wages and benefits accruing older workers under prior agreements. So, and then the United Parcel, they seem to have settled that, but 
we're waiting for a vote from the rank and file to see if they're going to approve or reject it. And then there's the writer's strike, which has now been uh, joined. Uh, everybody uh, dealing actors. with Hollywood productions as workers now has, has joined that strike. And, uh, and I'm a member of SAG-AFTRA, uh, which also represents what they call uh, the, the performers. Um, and the, my union has struck as well. And that is going to be a gigantic battle against the Hollywood moguls who are making unbelievable money. There's one guy at Warner. Last year, he made $250 million. You know what that is? I mean, $250 million is $2,000 a minute, a minute, 40 well, hours say, a week. They say AI actors eat a lot less and uh, they could save money on craft services. Uh, well, Ralph, I could talk with part of the fear that the AI <laughs> robots are going to increasingly replace the workers, the cre creative workers, the writers, the editors and so on. So this is a massive battle for the coming 20 years. Otherwise, uh, goodbye, labor leverage. The workers won't have the leverage once the robots move in. This is the time for them to move everywhere. Uh, and sa same things happening in the world of radio as well. Ralph, I could talk with you for hours. I so appreciate you being so generous with your time. You know what an admirer I am of you and your work. And uh, I'm thrilled that you're still out there doing what you're doing. And I uh, want to encourage everybody to pick up the Incommunicados and uh, to check out the latest edition in print only of the Capitol Hill Citizen. And uh, as you alluded to, the website, if people want to get a copy, is CapitolHillCitizen.com. CapitolHillCitizen.com. Thank you, sir. Well, listen, post-midnight workers, we have to hear from you. If we don't hear from you, we can't get your strength to fight for our democracy and justice. It all comes from you, and we have to hear from you and get a reaction as Frank has suggested. Thank you, Frank. Amen. Amen. If you want to comment on any portion of our discussion, you're welcome to give me a call. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight.